Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Right, so moving on in our day and in our notes to the second session on the Holy Spirit. So the great thing about this course is the way that there's a, a design to do, you know, a biblical theology, if you like, and then the systematic theology alongside it. So um, I think that's very helpful. I hope you do too. Help if I get the right notes. Um, okay. Right, so we've been reading about him in the book of Acts and uh, we've seen obviously in that session this theme of the spreading witness in the power of the Holy Spirit in a new way. And so now what we're going to do is to look at some theology, if you want better words, you know, some of the things we know or think or, or uh, deduce from scripture about the Holy Spirit himself. And uh, as I said uh, earlier, um, the word spirit is that word that also means breath or wind. Uh, ruach and pneuma in the Hebrew and the Greek. Almost, you, you might say, um, and this is only a metaphor because all these things are metaphors. Just bear in mind, we're talking about a lot of metaphors today. Partly because we can't pin him down that well. Uh, but also because that's basically how language works. That's how we understand things and how God communicates to us through scripture, often in those kind of metaphors. So if I talk about the breath of God, it's obviously a metaphor because God doesn't have a body or lungs and therefore he doesn't have breath. But that idea of uh, the spirit, the wind, the, um, uh, we even read, don't we, um, about... Uh, the spirit, like the wind, you know it's there but you can't really see it and the spirit comes and does what he's going to do, rather like the wind. Those analogies are helpful. Um, so although we might think of spirit, wind, breath as a similar kind of ideas that can be helpful and we'll see how in a little while, uh, the spirit of God is not an impersonal force. Uh, he's a he, not an it. So a wind is very much an it. <laughs> uh, but the Spirit of God is not. Um, and I was actually quite shocked as reading um, eminent theologian Alistair McGrath, his Christian theology book some years ago, and kept reading of the Spirit as an impersonal it, which theologically is a horrifying thought. Um, he's a he. Now you've done the Trinity, haven't you already? Just did it last time, did you? Yeah, did you do that? Yeah. So, okay, great. So you've done the Trinity, so I don't need to do all of that. Um, <laughs> But we know that he's a he. But how do we know he's a he? Because he's God. <laughs> because he's, he's, uh, he's God. Um, now, okay, he's not a he. Now I've just said that, of course, he's not a he. Because he's spirit. So he doesn't have a body that determines biological sex. But we need to use a pronoun for him. And the, and the way the Bible communicates that is as a he. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so when I say, obviously, he's not an it, he's a he... He's a he, we need to give him a, a gender in order to talk about him, but he is spirit, and therefore he doesn't have a biological sex. I hope that's not controversial. Um, 
Okay. Bit of theology, bit of history. Um, so throughout the history of the church, you know, theology comes from um, determining what we read in the scripture and working out from that what we might call doctrines or theological beliefs from that. So, and there's a process, if you like, uh, from scripture to theology, um, which you'll be familiar with as you've been going through this course. Actually, who's on year one? Who's doing this for the first year? Okay, a lot of you, and some of you on the second year, okay. So you're just starting your journey on the course, but basically you'll, go, you'll get this idea of, of systematic theology, a theme alongside the scripture, is very helpful. So there's been developments in the theology of understanding about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so theologically, you might say that the understanding that he's, he's God, he's divine, came quite late in some of the theological debates uh, and the if you like, the writing of theology, you know, the sort of hammering out of beliefs in, in the Christian faith. But actually, of course, some of the things we've read this morning show us that, okay, may, in the history of the church or theology, we may, it may seem quite late, so I've referred to the fourth century and Athanasius and so on, but actually some of the things we've read from the first century very, seem very clear that, that there's an understanding that the Holy Spirit is God. We'll come to that. So, so, you know, the Christology debate came first, really, the who is Christ, is he fully God? Uh, that debate within the church, amongst the church fathers, happened first. And then subsequent to that, so in the Nicene Creed, you probably, the original Nicene Creed from 325, wasn't clear about the, the person of the Holy Spirit. The change to that creed came in 381 at Chalcedon what's called the Nicene Chalcedonian Creed, which then acknowledges the deity, the divine nature of the Spirit. Um, and Athanasius drew on some of the things I've mentioned, things in the Bible that, that help us to see our theology, to understand who he is. Things like the baptismal formula, uh, baptised in the name of the Father, Son and the Spirit. Um, the reference of the church to the temple of the Spirit, and of course... Temple is where God lives among his people. So things like that, things that we read then help to form the theological understanding of who the Spirit is. Um, Athanasius also developed uh, some images. Now famously, some of you will realise, having been through this, that analogies um, that try and describe the Trinity are always flawed. Um, that's a bit, you know, they're all, we try and we're grasping for metaphors that just help us understand because we want to understand. And they're only so good, any of them, as I'm sure you've heard. Athanasius says this, the Father is the fountain, the Son is the river that flows from the fountain, and the Spirit is the water of the river. That's an analogy, a metaphor that tries to explain how they're all the same, they're one God, one in essence and will, and yet three distinct persons. Again, I don't want to repeat the Trinity uh, stuff that you've done. Or another one about light, the Son is the radiance emanating from the light of the Father, and the Spirit is the one by whom we are enlightened. That's another picture uh, of the Trinity. I think they're better than some of the others you've heard, um, but as I say, they can only go so far. And then Gregory, one of the other church fathers, uh, pointed out that scripture applies titles of God to the Spirit. 
that he's called holy in and of himself. Uh, he doesn't need making holy or sanctifying like we do. He is holy. And then the quote from Basil, one of the church fathers of the 4th century. If you never read any of these guys, you can look them up. Do you know there's a great website? I think it's called newadvent.org. Do you know that, that one? Basically, there's just all the writings of the church fathers on, on a website. Um, fascinating. Some of it's, it's brilliant and beautiful. These guys who were hammering out the the orthodox theology of our faith you can go away and read some of that stuff but Basil says this all who are in need of sanctification turn to the spirit all those seek him who live by virtue for his breath refreshes them and comes to their aid in the pursuit of their natural and proper end he's capable of perfecting others and he himself lacks nothing he's not a being who needs to restore him his strength but himself supplies life that was uh, him writing there about his, the developing theology of the Spirit. So we in Christian orthodoxy then um, affirm and call him the Spirit of God. Some biblical titles, Spirit of Truth, Spirit of Wisdom. He's known as the Helper or the Advocate. That Greek word paraclete, you know that word of one who comes alongside. He's the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He's one with the Father and Son in essence and will, but different in relation. Again, I'm doing Trinity stuff again, but you know this in, in his eternality, one with the Father and Son. So the revelation of Scripture is the, is the, the way we know that he's God. And that's uncontroversial now it's uh, the creeds are the way that the church has maintained that that you need an orthodox understanding I don't know how many of you in churches that use creeds or confessions unfortunately I'm not I do like a creed or a confession I think it's very can be very helpful to repeat the truth that we that we believe that we stand on and the things actually that unite the Christian church through history uh, and around the world and across denominations. Um, the, the sort of the core elements of our faith and what we believe and what we stand on is, is a very powerful thing. Anyway, that's an aside. So, uh, some other things that we read in the scripture about the Spirit. So, the, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing about um, gifts, which we'll come to a bit later. I don't know if I've got a slide. No, no, no. He says, he talks about God and the Holy Spirit in the same breath. He says, the Spirit gives gifts. Same Spirit gives gifts, the same God, he says. Uh, I've already referred to the baptismal formula. It's almost, it's just it's so familiar to us. But you think, um, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that sort of baptismal formula. You can imagine him saying, in the name of the Father, the Son, and Mary or the name of the Father, Son and the Archangel or something you know, is clearly um, the Spirit and as we saw earlier in our story about Ananias and Sapphira Peter, even Peter then says you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've not lied to people but to God, Peter clear, he's there, he's there already um, but as we so we've seen in the Acts this extraordinary event of the of Pentecost of the Spirit poured out on all people as Joel prophesied. But of course, He is God and He's eternally so, and so He doesn't just show up in Acts two. Um, obviously, He's present, and so just a little survey of some of the some of the places we see the Spirit in the Old Testament. 
uh, right at the very beginning. Uh, he was there. We read the Spirit of God at creation. He's there in giving revelation to individuals, to people, for things. Uh, you, you can look up those passages. He's there as well, we read, to give ability or power or, or um, ability is a better word actually for certain tasks so this is actually that reference there actually someone want to look that up for me exodus 31 1 to 3 somebody got it want to read it in a loud voice It might have some tricky words in it. Don't be shy. It's just the names, isn't it? Yeah. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Moses, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make... Um, sorry. Artistic, sorry, that's my eyesight. Artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Sorry, I've got Brilliant. That's fine, that's good, that's fine, thank you for that. Yeah, so <laughs> God says I've empowered and filled in my spirit. And we always, I think, well, I don't know about you, I don't want to put that on you. We tend to think that being filled with the power of the spirit for something is, um, looks a certain way. And, and of course there what you've got is an individual filled with the spirit, empowered by the spirit in order to excel in, with his hands in his day job, in order to excel in... in building and making and designing things for the glory of God. I think that's a beautiful thing to remember. But there he is, that's the Spirit of God, and as we read as well in different places, gifts of leadership bestowed on individuals as the Spirit comes on them. So I'm sure you know that, but it's good to remember that the Spirit of God doesn't just show up at Pentecost. He's eternally active and working. He's God. And there's an expectation, actually, as well in the uh, in the Old Testament. There's a just that there's a quote in your notes, I think, from Isaiah 32, prophet Isaiah. In this little uh, metaphor, he says, "The palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. It's, it's desolate, it's wild, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high." and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. So there's an, even the, you know, an expectation that the Spirit is poured out, that God himself, by his Spirit, brings change and transformation. Uh, so that's... Uh, oh, and the other thing that I've put there, that's just... Uh, I'm not going to go into this business with Saul, but note the Spirit withdraws from Saul due to his disobedience. You know, though when Saul gets it very wrong... Uh, the king that the nations want and he turns out not to be the guy at all Saul um, from the tribe of Benjamin which is the tribe that sets itself up against Judah uh, the spirit we read spirit withdrew from Saul that's another place he's mentioned in the Old Testament 
and in the life of Christ as well. Just some allusions to where we see the Holy Spirit at work uh, in, the, in the Gospels, in the story of Jesus. So obviously at his birth we read, you can look these up um, at some point if you want to in your own time, but the anointing at his baptism famously, that's one you'd be very familiar with, where we see the, where we see the Trinity, you know, where we see Jesus come to the waters of baptism, the Father speak and the Spirit manifest like a dove. I don't know what that looks like, <laughs> um, but that's what we read. We read as well the Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness when he was taken out in, in the 40 days. He was tempted in the wilderness and fasting. Um, my um, translation, actually, I noticed this recently because we did a, we're in a series on the early chapters of Luke at the moment in my church and uh, uh, talking about signs of the kingdom. And I noticed that, that my translation says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I read a translation. Or oh, rather than just led in the wilderness. I thought that was quite interesting. The Spirit led him into that, the, the wilderness time. Anyway. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered, we read, to overcome demons by the Spirit. And of course we also know Paul famously said that the Spirit raised Christ from the dead. And that Spirit, yeah, same Spirit, lives in and with us. So in the, in the Old Testament, the, the way that we see the Spirit, so we've looked at all those ways in which he's mentioned in Scripture, but the way he appears to us, if you like, the way we see him is in the glory. You know, where we, So we've talked about the way the Spirit filled the church, just like the glory of God filled the uh, tabernacle the, and the, in the temple, the Holy of Holies. Uh, the glory of God and theophanies there are the odd occasions where God seems to appear um, to somebody we call that a theophany um, that's yeah that's the way that one of the ways in which God comes shows himself in, in the Old Testament and in the Gospels of course the locus of the presence of God on the earth is Jesus um, one thing I uh, a friend uh, mentioned to me recently she was doing some work on the purity laws in um, the Old Testament and she said isn't this extraordinary that um, you know the presence of God dwell in in the temple that's the understanding of the Jews and of course Mary once she'd given birth would not be allowed at the temple because she'd be unclean she'd be bleeding still um, but all that time she's holding in her arms and at her breast the, the, the point where the presence of God dwelt on earth. I just find that so extraordinary. <laughs> the way that God works, the way that God chooses to, uh, to fulfill his plans, you know, through a, ba a, a baby born to a, a young teenage girl. It's just extraordinary. But anyway, um, why did I say that? Oh yeah, Jesus manifests the presence of God on earth for that, for that time. And then after the ascension, as Jesus said himself, uh, the Holy Spirit would be sent. And now he is the primary manifestation, obviously, of the presence of God, the presence of the Trinitarian God among us. Jesus said, didn't he? I have to go so that I will send my spirit. You won't be alone. Uh, 
I was going to say, before I put that, I didn't say it, um, it's in your notes, but um, well, it's not in your notes actually, because I've asked you to do it. In one sentence, discuss what the Holy Spirit does now. Don't discuss it. Just stop and think about it for a minute and then t give a little one sentence definition. If somebody said to you, well, what's the Holy Spirit about? Who, what's that? What's he do? What's your... What's... Somebody have a, have a punt. Tell me what you think. Speaks to us in prayer. Yeah, he speaks to us when we pray. He empowers us to do the work of God. Yeah. He's our help and guidance. He's our help and guidance. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, he does lots of things, as we'll see. <laughs> but um, this is what one commentator. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest, or, or show, display, the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. You may or may not agree with that summary, but that's one person's summary. The work of the Holy Spirit is to show, display, the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. Um, and he's doing that in all sorts of ways. Uh, in your notes, I think we've got things in a slightly different order in your notes. Apologies for that. But anyway, this is a survey. Now, I don't know, because you all come from different kinds of churches and different church traditions, I imagine, and what your understanding of, of um, being filled with the Spirit, the idea of receiving the Spirit of God, the idea of um, knowing Him. You, know, you might have some different uh, backgrounds on that or different understanding of received different teaching on that. I come from a tradition which is um, evangelical, charismatic. So there, I've had, heard lots of teaching over many, many years um, about being Spirit-filled, um, about receiving the Spirit. You might have heard the language of being baptised in the Spirit, which is very common in the tradition I come from. Um, but there's different ideas, different thoughts, and you, and you may have been taught that as you become a believer, then there's an experience that you'll go through secondary to that, where you're filled with the Spirit, um, rather like what happened to the believers at Pentecost, and in Samaria, you remember. But there's all sorts of different understandings of that, and what the how we, how we interact with him, really, how we know him, how we receive him. So there's a little survey in your notes. I nicked this from a guy called Andrew Wilson, by the way. It's not, yeah, um, absolutely, it's, it, I nicked it straight off the page. Um, but it's just a, just a bunch of questions, 10 questions. Don't discuss it. Just sit and as quickly as you can, go through it and just tick all the ones that you think are correct. Statements about the spirit and, and believers. Just, just it's not, it's not really a test. It's just interesting. Tick all the ones you think are correct, and we'll come back and see how you get on.
Don't overthink it. <laughs> okay. Anybody, anybody agree with a tick or ten? Anybody going with all ten? Okay. Some people are. Yeah. Nine. What was that? Nine or ten? Are you hedging your bets? Ten. <laughs> it's like in between. No. I think most of them. Okay, most. Yeah. Any anybody anybody get less than five? Okay. Interesting. Well, it was up, it, for me, it was something like eight, where I was slightly uncomfortable with the phrasing of like drinking. And okay. Okay. So that's the the metaphor itself tripped you up a bit, yeah? Yeah. So the metaphor, all who are in Christ today have been given the Holy Spirit to drink, was a little bit like, oh, really? Okay, what does that mean? Okay, that's, a, that's an image, that's a biblical image, isn't it? So that's why it's in there, but as I say, it's not mine, I didn't do it, Andrew did it, but. Um, so, the, so the point of that exercise really is to make us think a bit and realise that uh, the way that we understand our relationship with God essentially is what we're talking about isn't it our interaction with our knowledge of God by his spirit in different ways depending where we've come from depending what we've been taught and our traditions um, and some of you will have had very I suspect some of you will have had very specific experiences of um, of receiving the spirit or meeting with God in some way by his spirit that were very powerful and um, subsequent to conversion um, others will have been taught well the spirit of God is very much active in your conversion so you, he's already present all of those things I think are true um, and uh, just to read something from a confession from the Belgic confession which is um, from the 16th century says this we believe that to attain the true knowledge of this great mystery that's the gospel the Holy Spirit creates in our hearts an upright faith which embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits, takes hold of him and seeks nothing more besides him. So in other words, that's just part of a, a confession, and um, a later confession, which says that, yeah, well, we affirm that the Spirit himself is the one who draws us to Christ, that he's very much involved in our faith. And uh, Jesus himself in John's Gospel says, uh, in uh, John 3, I tell you the truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, if you're born again, as we say, if you've been born uh, into God's family, as a believer, if you're in the kingdom, that's a work of the spirit. He says, don't be amazed You must all, that I said you must all be born from above. For the wind blows wherever it wants. You hear the sound, but don't know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. But again, we read, as we read in Acts 8, when the apostles heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John, and these two went down and prayed for them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet come upon any of them that had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John placed their hands on the Samaritans and they received the Holy Spirit. See, I'm giving you questions, not answers. <laughs> well, that's okay. I think the truth is that, um, as you so so the so the the survey of the ten statements that you've gone through, and many of you said yes, all of those are true, probably because you you recognise them as coming straight from the Bible, the the. 
statements or metaphors that come straight from the Bible. And therefore, yes, they're all true. Um, but as many of us will know, I think, uh, we, we receive faith, we become Christians and place our faith in Christ because of an act of God. You know, the Bible is very clear about that. Um, nobody can come unless he draws them. And yet throughout our life, rather like when we read about Peter, we keep reading about Peter, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stood up. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up. You know, there's clearly an ongoing, and this is why it's helpful to remember that we're talking about a relationship, you know, and knowing a person. It's not, oh, I met them once, therefore I really know them. It's like some of you I've met once and I don't really know you. Uh, this is about an ongoing relationship and therefore we need to know him and we need to, it needs to not be a one-time gig. You know, we need to be constantly knowing him, filled with him, experiencing him. And we'll look at some of the ways that that happens as we go. The Holy Spirit in us. I think this is actually called, the, is this the name of the module today? Something like this. Uh, God's Spirit in us, I think, is the name of the... The Holy Spirit in us. Now, as I've said already, I keep saying it because I think it's helpful to remember this wind, breath, spirit idea. And, and a question, um, I heard someone, this analogy is, is therefore, for me, supremely helpful. How will I catch the wind, the breath of God in my life? How am I going to be propelled? And we're going to look at different metaphors of what the Spirit does in us. And they are fills, baptizes, empowers, seals, enlightens and sanctifies. Um, and we're going to go through those one by one. He fills. Now I've just, and I've just put up some, I've just put some verses there in your notes for you to show you that the Bible does use that metaphor. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with some of them, but for me, as I say, I, I, this is one of the things I, I've found so helpful in recent years uh, is this idea that to be filled with God's Spirit, which the Bible talks about, so many times over the years, I, that analogy has been interpreted and, and I've interpreted it as rather like a, a vessel and a, and a pouring you know so this, and of course the Bible uses that metaphor about the spirit being poured out even though he's a person um, but that idea of filling something with liquid and you may have even heard I don't know if you've heard this I've heard this that we get filled but then we leak I'm like really that's a weird analogy to me about the spirit of God sort of dribbling away I don't. but actually what I find much more helpful is this idea of this, the wind of God filling your sails and, and how we as believers have an opportunity or a responsibility an ability to put up our sail if you like you know to adopt a posture that enables our life to be driven by influenced by propelled by the spirit of God it's only an analogy, it's only a metaphor. They only, so, only go so far, you know. But for me, that's quite a helpful way. And I think the, the filling, you know, to be filled with the spirit, the, the breath, the wind of God, I find that really helpful. Like, uh, you watch, I was at the seaside very recently at half term and watching these seagulls just on the, you're incredible, aren't they? The way they just sort of, they just... They're just like, as soon as I sit there, they're not sitting, but you know, they're just there and the, the, the wind is, is holding them and, and they just kind of go with the wind. Um, and like a sailboat will go with the wind. If you don't put your sail up, you're not going anywhere. 
But what are the things? How do we you know, know God and how do we put up our sail? Well, that's another question for another day. What are the postures? What are the things that enable us to put our sail up and catch the wind of God? But I have found that so helpful when I heard that. Um, just a change from that analogy of pouring into something. Which isn't wrong, clearly. I mean, it isn't wrong and it can be helpful. But um, for me to, to ask myself, how, is, how am I catching the wind of God? How am I being influence driven by him influenced by him directed by him you know is a, like a wind in my sail and I know there are times when I'm not you know where, to carry the analogy on where I'm not putting up my sail and I things need to change or I need to attend to some things having said that the great uh, preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about the idea of being filled with wine so you know um, when Paul says don't be don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, actually, to be full of wine means you're, you know, we use that um, phrase, under the influence. They're under, or they're under the influence, you know. And again, to be filled with the Spirit means we're under the influence of the Spirit, rather like we might be under the influence of too much red wine. So he fills, and there's some, uh, there's some scriptures about that. Baptizes is the next one. Now, uh, I think the yeah the thing I the survey we did is titled "Baptism in the Holy Spirit," and that's a phrase that has been very very much used around the in the charismatic movement um, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not a it's not a, a phrase that's used a lot actually in the Bible, but. Um, but to baptise something, it's one of those words that's just been transliterated from the Greek, isn't it? So the number of times we do that, rather than take a word in the original language and translate it, we make a new word to kind of, we transliterate it into, an, so paradise is a good example. If anybody's seen the recent sermon by Tim Mackey on prayer, if you haven't, I recommend it. He talks about the fact that the Greek word that, that Jesus says to the thief on the cross today you've been with me in paradise it's a Greek word that just means garden but we've taken the Greek word and made our own word paradise actually which is quite interesting but we've done that with baptise as well baptise is a word that means to drench or soak something um, and in some ways it would be more helpful if we just translated it like that wouldn't it so you drench somebody in the waters of baptism that's why we put people in our tradition right through the pool dunk them down um, and you so we're talking about a drenching in the Holy Spirit, or a, you know, a soaking, a proper, uh, and the, I think the implication from that is you, you know when you've been drenched. <laughs> I got drenched in the one, one, one day this week, it's been so much rain in the last couple of weeks, but you know about it. Um, baptising and drenching is experience that we know we've had, and um, as I've said there, um, yeah, okay, so John, of course, talks about the analogy, doesn't he, of being baptised in water, and he's dunking people in the river. So uh, he's saying you're going to experience something like that, but with the Spirit of God. And it's about, it's a, as I say, it's a term not that much used. Receive the Spirit is more, is more the way that we read it in the English. But Okay, what are we doing for time? What else does the Spirit of God do in us? Well, we've heard a lot about this already this morning. Empowers. Yes, yeah, sorry. So, um, most of the previous slide was what was happening at that time. Uh, people would receive the Spirit later. Um, these days, um, you 
people get baptized for spiritual conversion? Yeah, so um, for the purpose of the recording, gentlemen just asked whether or not baptism in the Spirit or filling with the Spirit happens at conversion or subsequently. Um, that was really the point of the um, survey to, to show that, well, first of all, I think you'll find differing, differing, differing understandings, different views on that. So we read about the Samaritans receiving Christ, but then it's clear they haven't yet received the Spirit. Um, and so Peter and John go and pray for them and they receive the Spirit. And we similarly read about that, don't we, in um, um, uh, Ephesus, a similar thing happens. Although I think in that, I think in that situation, they've not actually probably yet received Christ. They've had John's baptism, haven't they? Um, I can actually read it for you. Look, Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul went through the inland regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples there and said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they replied, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, Into what then were you baptised? Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptised with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Um, one, I don't think necessary. So some people I know would say that you, we wouldn't, uh, can't build a, a, an ongoing theology on those two. As I say, one of them I think is probably slightly spurious anyway, the Ephesus one, on an occurrence in the first, uh, you know, in the apostolic era. Um, and so I know people, I know people even in leadership in my church, some who would say, well, Clearly you receive the spirit of conversion because without the work of the spirit there's no coming to faith. Others who have experienced a very clear second receiving of the spirit, you know, experientially they know that something has happened, like that drenching, you know about it. Um, personally, that's what happened to me as a teenager. I had one very clear experience when people prayed like, for me to be filled with the spirit and I, I knew God in a different way. Um, I don't think I, I would want to put uh, a fence around the way God would do things and say, oh, no, this is the way he does it, or this is the way he does it. And I think, um, you know, as believers, we know that we have the Spirit of God in us. I think the Bible is very clear about that, and some of those statements that you marked are clear about that. There's no coming to faith without the miraculous intervention of the Spirit of God in our lives. Um, and, the, and, and my encouragement and the most important thing about all of this, I think, is to recognise that even if you do have um, 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 some sort of transformative experience where you have a, you know, an experiential event where you meet the Spirit of God in a new way, which doesn't happen for everybody and it doesn't mean they don't have the Spirit of God in them, then that's, like I said earlier, a one-time event is not what we're looking for, but an ongoing lifetime of getting to know God and of knowing a person and therefore like I say Peter filled with the Spirit Peter filled with the Spirit um, and clearly he's experienced being filled with the Spirit at Pentecost we read that and there's all sorts of um, manifestations things that have, have shown that's happened but it's not the it's not the last time he then experiences the filling of the Spirit Do you see what I mean uh, and sometimes we are and there's certainly no one size fits all in terms of what that means when you experience a meeting with the Spirit of God. Um, 
who, who here, just out of interest, if you feel willing to say, had a sort of was taught and had a sort of secondary experience of an infilling of the spirit after their conversion subsequent to it? I did. Some of you will have done, some have not. And, but subsequently, throughout my life, and I've been a Christian for, you know, I don't know, nearly four decades, um, which means I should be a lot more mature but, than I am, but uh, my faith. But um, yeah, and subsequently throughout life, there have been moments when I've known, uh, um, experientially known, a meeting with the Spirit of God that's very meaningful, maybe peaceful, maybe quiet, maybe you know more exciting but different times we're just not well I know and God is doing something and I've received new boldness for something or I've do you know what I mean so the, the key thing I think is that we don't just think oh well I was filled with the spirit then so I'm a spirit-filled believer it's like no, we want to know God and so we are to go on being filled and even that you probably heard it said um, the imperative in uh, one of the scriptures that came up before the imperative to be filled with the Spirit from Ephesians, I think it is, um, is, a, is a kind of ongoing verb. Go on being filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time event. Is that okay? I dodged the question a little bit, but only because I think that's the right thing to do. So he empowers, and like we heard earlier, the power um, of the Spirit. Jesus said it, didn't he? You receive power, what for? Acts 1.8, you will receive power to be witnesses. So power, that's what Jesus says, the power of the Spirit is to make us witnesses. And as we saw then, the apostles really were witnesses in a whole new way, with a whole new dynamic. So he empowers. And what we think, certainly in my tradition, there's often like the power is all about, boom, it's all about the signs and wonders. And we've got to keep praying for healing because if people get healed, then, you know, like we saw at the beggar at the beautiful gate, you know, there's a healing, then people will listen. I don't know about you, but that's not always been my experience. When something incredible happens, people still don't always listen. And in fact, Jesus told a parable about that, didn't he? Um, Lazarus and the rich man. Even if someone comes back from the dead, they won't listen, he said. Um, anyway, I, I digress. Um, so the power, yes, it clearly is for powerful things and the way we think about power, because we just watched the apostles do all of that stuff. Um, but it's also for other things. So Stephen, yes, was full of power, doing great wonders, um, signs and wonders, miracles. But listen to this in Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit enables us to have hope. That's a powerful thing in and of itself, isn't it? And this one... Ephesians are great thing, great prayers in Ephesians to pray through for, for people. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. That Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith so that because you've been rooted and grounded in love, you'll be able to comprehend the breadth, length, height and depth and to know the love of Christ. The power of God to know the love of Christ in your innermost place. That's a work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. He power, empowers us not only for external signs, but for signs within, if you like. A sign of, of, of knowing him. And maybe, you know, we could talk about power in terms of signs and wonders and why. 
our churches and our lives are not full, not like the apostles. Well, mine is, and I don't know about yours. So I was making a presumption there. Why my life is not like the apostles' life, full of signs and wonders, despite the fact the Spirit is, of God is in me and with me. But I think maybe sometimes I we, we can have too much confidence in our own abilities and not expect too much of Him. Um, but uh, as we know, like uh, Jesus encouraged us to ask. Sometimes maybe we don't have because we don't ask. Sometimes maybe we expect too little. Um, and I'm not suggesting one way or the other whether we should expect our lives to look like the apostles' lives or whether we should expect the 21st century to look like the 1st century. That's a whole different debate um, but what we do know is God is the same yesterday today and forever the spirit of God is alive God is, will always be alive and active and so I don't know about you but if, if you I think it was John Wimber who said um, what did he say was it only 10 don't quote me oh it's on tape don't um, he said he gave a, John Wimber was this incredible healing evangelist who started the vineyard movement of churches uh, came to faith and then had just huge faith for miraculous healing and uh, and is known for that actually particularly known for teaching on miraculous healing and evangelism ran lots of conferences over the years some of you probably went to some of them but he said he gave a statistic and said let's say it was 10 percent i'm not saying it was but it was lowish only 10 percent of the people i pray for for healing get healed which is oh like, oh really but you're known for that incredible healing ministry and then you think, well, if you didn't pray for anyone, no one would have got healed. 10% of nothing is nothing. But if you're praying, if you're routinely expecting God to do wonders and praying for the sick, and like him, you pray for thousands of people. 10% of thousands is, thousands is a lot of people. It's a lot of signs and wonders that point to Christ. And so, again, that's challenging, isn't it? Do we expect the, our powerful God to actually do acts of power in our day? I hope we do, and I hope we've seen some of them, and we just keep pushing on for more. Like Jesus said, like a little child, asking, expecting to receive. Power. Seals. He seals. This is a... Um, before we do this, should we have a break? It's quarter to twelve. Let's have a break. Let's have a break. We'll have a little break. Uh, we'll come back to finish off in the last session, the last few things, but let's take, um, keep it to 10. We'll keep it to 10 minutes, please, because otherwise we're going to run out of time. Thank you. Okay, we're going to come back in for our final session. Does anybody object if I take a photo of you, lovely lot? No? <laughs> Sorry, that's actually really harsh to ask you that en masse. If you do, come and see me afterwards and I won't do anything with it, but... Otherwise, I'm going to take a picture of us. <laughs> Look happy, please. <laughs> Just so everyone knows where I was today, that I was telling the truth. Okay, before we move on to our last session then, I just thought it might be fun just to kind of help us stay awake a bit. And, and as, just to do a little bit of a pop quiz on what we did earlier, the first part of the, the morning. So as we were looking at that plan, you know, for the ripples of the gospel to go out through the world. Just some things you can remember without, without looking at your notes. So here's just a few things. See who can remember what. So in Acts 4, I mentioned that incredible prayer that the apostles pray when they go back after they've been released from prison. 
What's the thing they prayed for? Somebody put your hand up. No, you need to put your hand up because there are prizes. Who is that? There's a ripple for you, sir. Um, what's the name of the wife in the awful story in chapter 5? Put your hands up! <laughs> it's too long since you were, like, were at school, isn't it? The, the wife in, in, who drops down dead. No, that's the man. The lady in the black and white. Okay, you can share it then. I didn't say her, but you said it. So, Ripples for you. This is to remind you, every time you meet a ripple from now on, you're going to remember the gospel going out. Okay, galaxy ripples. Um, okay, this is a tricky one, without looking at your notes. What's the phrase, this is a hard one actually, that Gamaliel used, which may be a reference to Euripides? Hands. Um, you must be careful, otherwise you might be fighting against God. Found fighting against God. I'll let you have it. Yeah, yeah. He's already got one. No, you haven't got one. No. There you go. Well done. This, this is really for my benefit, just so I, I feel like you've actually been listening to me, which is really nice feeling. So, good. Okay. There you go. That was that. Um, some galaxy. I have got some more actually. So we'll see what happens to those. Okay, let me just make sure I put the recording on. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, we're good. Okay, something else the Spirit does. Seals. This is an interesting one. Um, it, he seals, and he, and in the sense of you know a, <coughs> a seal. Uh, so in the context, obviously, you know, a, a piece of wax on a document with a stamp on it, a seal to show that it comes with authority of whomever. Um, Somebody read for us 2 Corinthians 1 verses, bear with, uh, I think it's 20 to 22. 2 Corinthians 1 20 to 22. With a nice loud voice. Yes, sir. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, isn't that a lovely idea that all the promises of Christ, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. The yes and amen of Jesus Christ over the promises of God and those who have faith in Christ, therefore all the promises of God are yes. It's a, such a lovely thought, such a lovely idea and of course there we find that the, the seal, the guarantee of all the future promises, if you like, all the promises that are to be gained in in the, in the new creation, all the eschatological promises, all the things that God has said he will do, all the outworking of the promises and the hope in Christ, uh, the seal, if you like, the deposit, the proof, the down payment is that he's given us his spirit. We just read there. It's how we know we're children of God. Uh, there's some scriptures for you. 
you're sealed for the day of redemption. There's a seal, there's a guarantee, there's a down payment. It's like that. It's the same word as a financial deposit. It's like, I've, made, I've paid the deposit. There's a, there's a definite, uh, there's a guarantee of what's to come. That's the work of the Spirit, we read. Um, there's some various, have I put them up there? Maybe they're in your notes. I'm not sure there's some Old Testament references in my notes to that, but we haven't really got time for that. But that word, same as a financial deposit, a first instalment, guaranteeing, we have the Spirit, we know. It's about knowing God again, you see. It's about knowing Him by His Spirit. That's how we know we're His. Another thing He does, the Spirit of enlightenment or knowledge. And actually this pr promise of Jesus in Luke 12, Luke recounts it, and then of course in Acts, Luke tells us, shows this in action, doesn't he? We've seen it today. Um, when they bring you before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you make your defence or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that moment what you must say. Um, and Peter and John clearly experienced that when they found themselves in that position. Uh, the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what I've said. The Spirit of truth guides you. Somebody said that when we said, what does the Spirit do? He's our guide. Um, his anointing teaches you about all things the true. The, the Spirit enlightens that analogy from Athanasius about the light. Yes, the, the light of God. The Spirit is the one through whom we are enlightened. Um, John 14, I just read that, didn't it? Yeah. This, this is John, obviously, in the, that huge high priestly section of John's Gospel. The Helper, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. I'm endlessly grateful for this book. Um, I'm a big fan, in case you haven't worked that out, and you are too, that's why you're here. It's an extraordinary, um, it's an extraordinary gift for all sorts of reasons. Um, but I, and I don't know about you, but I just find it so thrilling to open a page in the Bible, read it for the nth time, I don't know how many times, and it just come with such revelation and force again because the spirits at work through it because there's a living relationship and, um, and I can imagine that for people who don't have faith they might think what are you on about that's just a nutty thing to say but it's my experience and I'm sure it's yours that he enlightens you know he shines light the spirit shines a light um, on the things that Jesus said on things about him things and, and certainly in the scripture and it's the most it's the most extraordinary experience to keep reading things over and over again through a lifetime of faith in Christ and the Spirit of God illuminate it again in a way that hits you with full force as if you've never read it before. Um, that's what he does, one of the things he does. And thankfully, this is one of the things he does. He makes us holy, sanctified to make holy. This is a work of the Spirit as well. Uh, The 1 Peter verse there, you've been elected, he says to these believers who are scattered all over Turkey, living in difficult circumstances, you've been elected according to the foreknowledge of God in sanctification, the making holy of the Spirit. What we've been elected for, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. That's a passage there you could unpack for weeks, but... Um, 
And we ought always to give thanks to God for you, says Paul to the Thessalonian church, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, making holy by the Spirit. This is a, a slightly, I would say, so I find this quite a mysterious thing. It's a, tr- it's a work of the Spirit to transform our desires, to sanctify us. Um, so it's not, you know, I don't believe this, you know, walk, walking out, living out this faith is, is not, as we often say, it's not, a, it's not about rules. It's not about, this is not a rule book. I don't know how many times you've heard that said to, in evangelistic sermons. Um, and this life is not a life of, of rules, but it's a life of transformation. And so we have to cooperate, <laughs> obviously. But there's a work of the Spirit in us which is to make holy, which is to sanctify, which is to transform our desires. And if our sail is up, you know, if we are seeking to catch the wind of God in our lives, to know Him, to to know the Spirit, to experience the Spirit, to ask Him, then my experience um, is that this is what He does in us. He transforms our desires. He changes the things that we want and the things we care about and the things we prioritise. That's one of the things he does. I like the, that way it carries on from Psalm 37, where it says, Take delight in the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean he will give you what you think you want when you pray. Nice. He transforms right. the desires of our heart. Yes. So in Psalm 37, the promise that God will give us the desires of our heart um, are not necessarily the things we think we want or need, but as he transforms the desires, and actually as he transforms our desires to be totally focused on him and his glory and his purposes then obviously yes he, he does promise to give us the desires of our hearts which ultimately are for the redemption of all things aren't they ultimately for the new creation for when God makes everything new as we read about in Revelation as you'll get to eventually that's that's ultimately the the the, the focus, the trajectory, the journey, where that's where we're going. And that's the thing that I think about more and more is that um, everything else, when we get our, our view correct and when, we're, you know, when we understand well and we're looking in the right direction, actually every, every other desire is just is, is secondary, unimportant, pales into insignificance rather than desiring him. And very, very similar to this idea of sanctification then, we're going to move into just looking quickly at the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They're two things that we'll have heard about a lot when we talk about the Holy Spirit in our preaching or teaching or whatever. And uh, we remember, you remember in Acts 2, if you can think back to Acts 2 at the beginning of the morning, we talked about um, this Spirit-filled community and what it was like. Uh, and uh, just, just as I put there, it's a loving community. They're sharing everything. There's not a kind of grabbing sense, but a very liberal sense of generosity. There's a powerful community, signs and wonders showing you know, the, the truth of, the, of what the coming kingdom. They're a growing community. The gospel is fruitful. People are getting born again. And it's an orthodox community. They're committed to the teaching um, of the apostles. And, and the reason I put that there is because those things are at the outworking of the Spirit uh, being present among his people. 
and, and, and all that fruit means, I think, because you talk about, you know, I talk about someone, the fruit of your labours or the, um, all that project really bore fruit, you know, in some way, you know, it's, it's the outworking, isn't it? It's something that naturally comes from something else. That's what fruit does. Um, and uh, one of the things I think it's, I think this is helpful, you may think it doesn't matter, but is that the, the way that Paul talks about fruit of the Spirit is, is it's a singular thing, it's not a number of different fruits. Um, you don't get a number of different fruits growing on the same tree. You get, you get, a, fru you get a fruit and it might have lots of different characteristics, so um, you, you know, the vine produces grapes and you could describe what a grape is like. Um, and the bramble produces blackberries and you might describe all the different characteristics of that but the fruit of the spirit is something that naturally is produced by his presence among us do you see what I'm getting at? so sometimes I've heard people do this even when you go to the list of the, the characteristics of the fruit in Galatians 5 which is the letter that Paul writes one of the very earliest letters that we have um, in scripture he says well the fruit of the spirit is like this um, uh, and he contrasts it actually in that passage to works of the flesh as he puts it so things that are ugly that come out of just humanity's desires and then he contrasts it with what actually naturally grows out of the spirit's presence among us is fruit the fruit of, of him is these, these things but it's not lots of different fruits it's not like well I've, I'm alright developing this fruit of love but I'm a bit poor on the gentleness one it's that the fruit is this and it has all these different characteristics and they're basically characteristics of God aren't they because he's the spirit of God <laughs> and his work among us therefore yields these things this fruit um, and so you may say well that's a bit pedantic it doesn't matter if it's lots of fruits or one fruit but there you go I just I'm a bit pedantic so I'll just throw that out for you um, but the point is that the work of the spirit among us the sanctifying work of the spirit is to do what is to make us holy that's what sanctify means which means what which means to make us like him it's the likeness of him that's being brought about in his people as a work of his spirit isn't it that's all those things for a ripple without looking who wants to tell me the characteristics of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 hands Nikki oh they're up there oh 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 oh, oh. don't look don't look she wasn't cheating she, where are you gentleness Goodness, self-control, um, love, joy, peace. <laughs> Just because she didn't cheat, she couldn't get a ripple. <laughs> so the fruit of the spirit, the the. the the outworking, the display, the fact that the Spirit is among us means that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, the likeness of God is on display in his people. That's what's meant to look like. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is one of the things we talk about a lot in... Um, in my sort of church tradition, I grew up as a young Christian, like as a you know teenager, child and teenager, being hearing a lot about this. 
And that's partly because as a, as a movement of churches, as New Frontiers as it was then, was born out of a particular moment in the church's history. And there was a, a sort of a moving away from some things that wanted to break free from and, and an embracing of things of the spirit, the dynamism of, of the spirit-filled church, the, a church where God is seen to be alive. And, um, and so as a result, there was a lot of focus on these kind of things. Not wrongly or rightly, I'm just, that's just the history of where um, my church tradition comes from. And... Uh, and Sometimes, if, I'm not saying this is the case, this was the case then. I mean, what do I know? I was only a kid. But I'm saying very often we can, depending on where we come from and what our emphases are theologically, we can really seize on certain things as being very important, but sometimes miss the point of those important things. So it really helps to go back to what the Bible says about these things. Um, so we're just going to have a look. So. At the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you remember Joel had prophesied um, all sorts of people, and he actually lists, doesn't he? Men, women, young, old, that's as far as he goes. But because we now know as well uh, all the nations, all types of people from all types of places and backgrounds. Um, that would have, yeah, that's the plan. And all of those people will then become spirit filled, alive in God. And therefore, as he says, Joel, there's going to be gifts associated with that spirit outpouring, um, prophetic gifts, gifts, dreams and visions and so on. And that's what we see um, at Pentecost. We read that um, particularly the thing we see at Pentecost is, is of course, the languages, the, sup the supernaturally given earthly languages, it seems. So um, languages were given miraculously as people started glorifying God in different languages in order that all sorts of people would hear. Not only in order that people would hear, but in order as a sign, I think, of what God was doing and that all nations would hear and come to Christ. So that's, that's a sign, that's one of those spiritual gifts, clearly one of the spiritual gifts, actually, or a gift of the Spirit, we don't necessarily think of it like this, but it clearly was in the Acts of the Apostles, incredible boldness and success in gospel preaching, that should be an outworking or a, a gift of receiving the Spirit. Because remember, the purpose of receiving the power of the Spirit, Jesus said, was to be witnesses. So very often, if we're not careful, we can be very insular in our understanding of why we receive the Spirit and what we're going to do with him, if you like, in our churches. You know, do you know what I mean? Is anybody identifying with this? Um, gifts of the Spirit within a worship setting or how we do worship, you know, how we do church together, um, rather than thinking, okay, well, the, gift, the giving of the Spirit, Jesus says, primarily is to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's just good to keep remembering that. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, um, he says this, Since you are eager for manifestations or displays of the Spirit, seek to abound in order to strengthen the church. So, you know, in 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church is clearly really into the whole spiritual Dynamic. They seem to be really into it to the to the extent that obviously Paul's having to correct quite a lot of things that they're getting a little bit off. You know, they they're, they've missed the point. Some of the things that are going on, he commends them a lot, which I think is very um, generous of him because when you read the first letter to Corinth, clearly they're a bit of a mess, uh, which is encouraging because so are we. 
Uh, but anyway, he's saying you, you're eager for displays of the Spirit. You love all this spiritual stuff. And clearly he has to tell them, stop all praying in tongues at once. Nobody knows what's going on. You know, you've, you've got to... Why are you doing this? Think about why you're doing this. You're doing it, he says, in order to strengthen the church. These gifts are not for you. They're for, primarily for one another. Apart from, of course, he talks about the gift of spiritual languages and says that's, that's primarily for you, to build you up as you pray in that way. So gifts are there. These kind of spiritual gifts... We won't, I won't ask you to list them all because there's so many different lists in the New Testament. We'll have a look at them in a minute. But are there for the benefit of the whole, benefit of the church. And the Corinthian church seems to have got a bit like, oh, well, I've got this gift and I've got this gift and, and I'm special in this way. Um, and he has to step in and correct that and say, no, no, no. It's for, the, it's for the building up of the whole. The other thing they do is they give a foretaste. So in Paul's uh, wonderful chapter about love you remember he's giving all these instructions to the corinthian church about how to do church essentially in verse particularly in chapter 11 chapter 14 there's a lot of that going on and then right in the middle he puts this kind of hymn to love i don't know if you ever thought about how weird that is but he's writing a letter uh, responding to another letter that he's received from them and he's correcting some things and he's saying no no you should do it like this and don't forget what this is all about and when you get together cover your head or don't cover your head you know. um, uh, and don't all speak at once but right in the middle of that he puts this poem this hymn to love chapter 13 and I suspect that's because you know that's the key to all those other things that's the key to all that how do we do church what do we do if somebody thinks they've got a prophecy but we just think it's a blessed thought how, you know how do we manage when somebody prays in tongues for 15 minutes and won't stop all of those things he's addressing all of those things when it comes to the new spirit-filled church and this is only 50, you know 50 something ad but, but but then he puts in this thing about love because it's that's the key you know that's the key the loving selfless one anothering community of faith um, doesn't just seek show off my gift or or what I think God has given me. No, it's, it's uh, the Spirit gives gifts for the, for the good of all. Love never ends. If there are prophecies, they will set, be set aside. If there are languages, they will cease. If there is knowledge, and talking about spiritual knowledge, you know, God-given gifts of knowledge, it will be set aside. We know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, these things are a taste. They're there for us to, to bless and benefit one another. But they point to something better. We won't need those things in, when, in that time when God restores all things to himself. And a key, a key uh, reminder about all of this comes from actually from Peter, or from 1 Peter. If indeed, if indeed that's the Apostle Peter. He says this in 1 Peter 4. 10. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And there's all these gifts that are listed. So Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans. Um, some different traditions would say, would add some other things into the mix, but things like words of wisdom we read about, where supernaturally communicated 
wisdom for, for a situation, words of knowledge, which is something God tells you that you couldn't otherwise have known. Often, often God gives those in order to pinpoint something in somebody's life and get their attention. It's a sign of him. It's a sign of his presence. My husband has words of knowledge for healing a lot and they're often very humorous. Um, but anyway, um, what, but just to give... No, no, okay. <laughs> Okay, I've got to remember one now. Um, let me just, so this is, I mean, this is the kindness of God. Very often he'll, he'll say something, this is on a Sunday, you know, say, you know, I believe God has said this. Sometimes he'll get the word for a condition. He doesn't even know what the condition is. He has to say to me, is this a thing? But, but God speaks and then it's the sign to somebody that God knows them, he cares about their pain and their condition and he wants us to to stand with them and pray for them and look after them. Sometimes there's a miraculous intervention in healing and sometimes there isn't, but, but that's what a word of knowledge is. There was one, he, had a, he stood up in church on a Sunday morning, he said, I've just seen an image of a blue bra. And of course, he has loads of heckling. <laughs> Keep your mind on the sermon, Paul, you know, all that kind of thing. But basically, there was, a, there was someone there who'd got mastitis and in the week, she'd put her white bra in with the one wrong wash and it had gone blue. But she knew God was speaking to her about her situation, hearing, knowing her, seeing her pain, and do you know what I mean? That sort of thing, that's just supernaturally given um, knowledge uh, for the good of all. Because it not only was for the good of her, it, it builds up the whole when they hear those lovely stories. Gifts of healing, gifts of encouragement, prophecy, speaking, encouragement from God to his people. Uh, as opposed to the gift of languages, which is the other direction, you know, us being given a language to help us express ourselves to God. And sometimes those things prayed out loud then come with an interpretation. Paul, by the way, says if you... This is interesting and I, not something I've seen always taken to heart. If there's no one there who you know interprets those things, don't, don't do it, he says. <laughs> don't, don't pray in a, in a supernatural language if you don't think there's someone there who will interpret it. Or also, be ready to interpret it yourself. By the Spirit. So it's not translation, it's interpretation of what the Spirit is saying through somebody. We find gifts of help, administration. Um, the spiritual gift of administration is vital the church if you have it then be encouraged we need you gifts of serving teaching mercy in Romans there's a gift of mercy Paul mentions again if you are one who uses that gift of mercy in the way you serve the church and serve others that's a spiritual gift a gift of the spirit to his church for the building up of all so be encouraged uh, don't, let's not fall into the trap that the Corinthians fall into of the kind of public gifts. You know what I mean by that? Uh, let's just see everything that God gives us in our gifts as something to, to bless the whole. He says in Romans 12, talking about many gifts in one body, that analogy... <clears throat> For by the grace given to me, verse 3, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, 
We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. And as uh, 1 Peter 4 says, again we remind ourselves, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And verse 11, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. Whoever serves, do it with the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. That pretty much covers all the bases, doesn't it? In everything we want God to be glorified. Do it with the strength that God supplies. And finally, I just want to read uh, an excerpt from this great book, Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson. An invitation to you charismatic worship. That's a word he made up, I think. about being Eucharistic, recognising some of the benefits and strengths in more sacramental approaches, uh, but not then leaving out the dynamism and the life of the Spirit. It's a good book if you're interested in that. But uh, let me just read. So he's, he's talking about the church at Corinth again here. So he says this, So whatever else we may say about the experience and gifts of the Spirit, It is clear that to be a Christian in Greece in the AD 50s meant at least five things. One, you had already been baptised or drenched in one spirit into one body. Two, you'd been given one spirit to drink. Oh, there you go, that was in there. Taken together, these two images are highly experiential. If you're drenched or have a drink, you really know it. And they suggest the experience of the spirit is both initiatory and ongoing. Three, you had been given some gifts or manifestations of the Spirit for the common good, whether gifts of wisdom, knowledge or prophecy, healing or miracles, languages or their interpretation, faith, distinguishing between spirits or whatever else. Four, you had not been given all of these gifts and nor were any gifts common to all believers. Five, as a result you were called to serve the other members of the body with your gifts just as you needed them to serve you with theirs. That meant that you had to see your gifts as a means of exercising love for others rather than a means of spiritual gratification or showing off, a point which Paul then develops at some length, both in principle, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and in practice, in chapter 14. Well, it's 12.25. Before we go, I'd love us just to pray. Um... I'm going to pray for us, if that's okay. Our Father, I just want to thank you for for the Bible. Thank you for your word. That it is indeed living, powerful, active in our lives. And I I thank you, God, that you have... um, sent your spirit that he lives in us and with us just as Christ was Emmanuel that God came to us God with us just as he promised he sent the spirit now who lives in us lives with us walks with us empowers us encourages us teaches us enlightens us guides us 
I pray for us, I pray for sisters and brothers here today and the churches and households they represent, Lord, that we would be ever more uh, people who put our sails up to catch the wind of God, people whose very um, purpose and direction, impetus, motivation in life is to be directed by your Spirit, to be to keep in step with the Spirit, another biblical metaphor, to know you. We want to know God. Yeah, to know you is eternal life, the Bible says. And thank you for life in its fullness, Lord. Thank you that it's, it's true. Thank you that the hope of the gospel is that there's a, a living God who has, has shown himself to us, who walks with us, who has promised never to leave us. And I, I pray for us that our experience from this day forward would be more of that, would be more knowing God, knowing you in a way that is life-giving, exciting, challenging, provoking, encouraging, Lord, that we see some of the fruit of uh, the things that we read about in Acts, conversions, or people coming to faith, people seeing you for the first time. Lord, signs and wonders that you would do as we pray for boldness. We say with the apostles, we pray for courage while you stretch out your hand to perform signs and wonders. And Lord, we, we acknowledge and believe that that's still your campaign, still your intention uh, for our world. And we thank you so much for all we've learned today. I pray for us you would cement things in our hearts and minds that you've said to us. And Lord, and that Ultimately, we want to just grow. We want to grow in you, want to know you more, want to have lives that bring more glory as we seek to walk more and more closely in the footsteps of our Rabbi, the Saviour, and, uh, and bring all glory to him. Thank you, for your, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you, your presence is forever with us. You're with us and for us, and we're so thankful. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. It's been lovely to be with you again. Uh, I'll be around for the next few minutes if you want to...